insights generate our motivation and with a heart of incredible tolerance and patience and fortitude that makes our our heart and mind very strong in being able to endure suffering or endure harm but without being damaged by it without it weighing on us but having a certain clarity of mind that makes the mind clear and strong so that it can endure what sentient beings do without falling into anger and resentment and hatred but instead to react with loving kindness and compassion and at the same time be quite active in preventing or averting harm so with that kind of uh, patience and fortitude and compassion may we go forward on the bodhisattva path aiming for the full enlightenment of the Buddha a state where all the obscuring defilements of the mind be they karma or afflictions or latencies of either one where all of these have been totally removed from the mind so that the mind's natural ability to cognize can shine forth and so that the seeds of compassion and altruism that exist in our minds now can be nourished and developed to their full extent so with that kind of aspiration may we listen to the teachings that are praising great compassion going to review <laughs> starting with verse 7 I just couldn't go by so quickly. okay because I love these verses so much okay so verse 7 says I praise the compassion that focuses on sentient beings that sees them in their suffering aspect overpowered by their ignorance like a water wheel in the well of cyclic existence okay so this is what we were talking about before the compassion that sees sentient beings as involved in dukkha and dukkha doesn't just mean experiencing suffering it means they're involved in the afflictions that are the cause of misery okay so we're, we're not just seeing sentient beings as afflicted and then going why are they so miserable but we're seeing how they're bound and including they includes all of us too how we're all bound by our mental afflictions 
and previous karma. Okay? And so how this whole wheel functions to keep us just, you know, going in a cycle of misery from one rebirth to the next. So in America, we don't like thinking about these things. We want to think about everything as brilliant and upward mobile and going forward and bliss and light and love and, you know, we, we want a, a Dharma path that, you know, just leads us to ex- ecstasy, you know. Um, but, you know, the Buddha taught four noble paths. He didn't just teach the last two. Yeah, I mean four noble truths. He didn't just teach true cessations and true paths. He taught true dukkha and true origin or cause of dukkha. So we have to be able to look at what our situation is and look very clearly at what the causes of it are. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Okay? So if we don't want to be honest about our situation and its causes, how are we ever going to change the dynamic? You know? All we'll get at most is a band-aid. And so, you know, that's our mind that that just, it's like, just give me some light and love and bliss and, you know, I want a pill that's going to make my samsara all go away. Okay? So, we're looking for something external, you know, anything but look inside. So, I think this is really actually one of the beauties of the Buddha's teachings is that it does make us look inside and by looking inside it empowers us to change our situation okay so it requires some courage and the mind that just is seeking you know to have everything wonderful all the time that's the mind that is the mind of an addict isn't it we're going to be honest yeah the mind that just wants you know all I want is happiness all the time that's the mind that spurs addiction so we're never going to get well if we just succumb to that mind and personally speaking I found a tremendous relief in being able to understand what my situation and what the causes of it are because like I was saying this morning it takes so much energy to deny stuff it's exhausting to deny stuff it's much more relaxing actually than to own it and then be able to do something about it okay so how are sentient beings what is, what is their suffering aspect okay how are they overpowered by their ignorance like a water wheel in the well of cyclic existence so the, there are six analogies here okay so the water wheel you know the, the, the bucket that's, that's going up and down it's held by a rope okay so we sentient beings are held we're bound we're controlled by our afflictions and past karma yeah we aren't free it's not like we can do anything we want and then there's no ethical ramifications of our actions not like that yeah. 
show we create the cause and effect works you know we create the causes we experience the result yeah that's a natural law so we're bound by our previous actions yeah that also means we can change our actions okay um, a bucket is controlled by the pulley it doesn't move up and down of its own accord so similarly we are controlled by our afflictions and by our karma they're the ones that move us up and down up and down as we go from lower rebirth to higher rebirth to in between rebirth up and down in the wheel of samsara okay so the mind that says oh I want to see it all upward going upward going upward going till bingo I get enlightenment if we look at our mental state you know if you just look at anybody's average mental state is it necessarily always improving oh okay we go up and down so we create some good karma we create some bad karma we create some virtue we create some non-virtue so it's not consistent the pulley is pulling us up and down the third analogy is that um, we go up and down continuously okay so the cycle of rebirth from lower realm for unfortunate realms to higher realms and fortunate rebirths we go up and down continuously just like a bucket is going up and down and up and down and up and down okay um, and we look at even within one life our situation goes up and down all the time yeah it's like the stock market you know we're up one day we're down the next we're up one day we're down the next okay the fourth analogy is that uh, the bucket goes down very easily but it takes a lot of effort to pull it up so sentient beings just by the fact of our mind being overwhelmed by clinging and attachment and ignorance and jealousy and arrogance it's so easy to fall to unfortunate rebirths and then once there it's so difficult to get ourselves out because it's hard to generate positive mental states when you're either in a state of extreme misery like the beings in the hell realms or just extreme uh, frustration and deprivation like the beings in the hungry ghost realms or in a state of stu- supreme stupidity like the beings in the animal realm yeah. now I know a lot of people are animal advocates <laughs> and don't like me saying that they you know they are overwhelmed by stupidity and I love animals too but I must say that I've been trying to teach my two cats for a long time just to keep the first precept of not killing just one precept I've been teaching them their whole lifetime not to kill and they don't get it okay so this is the you know that when you're born in that kind of rebirth you have that kind of handicap you know I mean you've seen me explain to them haven't you you know and they don't get it okay then the fifth uh, simile with the bucket is that 
the bucket goes and the water reel it goes round and around without any seeming beginning and end okay so our samsara our rebirth again and again has no beginning and until we practice the path there's not going to be any end so it's just it's you know like the wheel um, the bucket going up and down and up and down or it's like being caught on a merry-go-round that never turns off and then the sixth symbol is that the, the bucket as it goes up and down in the well is battered it's clunked and wrecked and totally you know in a very pitiful state and so so are sentient beings as we're clunked against you know not getting what we want and getting what we don't want and being separated from what we care for and facing aging sickness and death we're battered okay so seeing that this is the situation of sentient beings then compassion arising okay so it's not just seeing sentient beings as having overt suffering it's not just looking at the people who have cancer and AIDS and are starving and you know going through a divorce or whatever it is the people in overt suffering and having compassion for them because also the beings who are seemingly doing well are just like I was talking the other day walking right along the edge of the precipice because as long as we're under the control of afflictions and karma we don't know when something's going to happen like that and the manifest overt suffering is going to strike us we don't know do we we wake up each morning thinking everything's going to be fine yeah but you know by the end of the day our life could have changed drastically yeah. we have no security in cyclic existence yeah so that's why compassion isn't just for the people with overt suffering it's for the people who are seemingly doing very well and are comfortable and seemingly secure because they're walking right on the edge okay so when we see sentient beings like this then very strong suffering uh, very strong compassion arises and you know when we see ourselves like that you know that's when we want to free ourselves from samsara so compassion for ourselves is nothing more than renunciation of cyclic existence so don't be afraid of the term renunciation we usually think of renunciation as suffering to renounce happiness we're renouncing suffering and its causes and we do that because we have compassion for ourselves and we want ourselves to have a lasting kind of happiness so when we see all these these three kinds of dukkha and these these six similes with the bucket in the well in terms of ourselves that leads to compassion for ourselves which is renunciation of cyclic existence and the aspiration for liberation when we turn that same thing to other 
living beings and we see that they're in that state that's when great compassion for them arises which nourishes the bodhicitta the altruistic intention that aspires to become a Buddha for their benefit okay so do you see how compassion for self and compassion for others are linked and how renunciation and bodhicitta have a relationship with each other then verse 8 you see all beings to be like ripples on the surface of a river they do not last even a moment I praise the compassion that focuses on phenomena that sees them in their impermanent aspect okay so we're seeing sentient beings as being like ripples on the surface of a river okay or the surface of the ocean the ocean of samsara and we're like ripples karmic ripples there changing all the time okay not lasting even a moment even one moment whatever we are is different in the next moment and yet we have this very false illusion of security and stability and control but in actual fact everything about us our body our mind everything is arising and ceasing in each moment in each instant there's no lasting abiding no permanent stability or security because everything is conditioned yeah condition means it depends on a cause it lasts only as long as that cause and causes are impermanent themselves changing like this so the results are changing 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 okay if we study science we see science is telling us the exact same thing you know there's this illusion of this very fixed matter out there but in fact all the electrons and protons are whizzing around and particles are even coming into existence and going out of existence all the time okay so when we see how in fact we are momentary and yet in our extreme ignorance we think that we are static and stable then we begin to see how that ignorance grasping at permanence leads to so much misery because when everything's changed we reject the fact that they've changed unless it's a change we wanted but many times change happens that we don't and then we're surprised we're shocked our mind totally rebels you know how can the person I love have a terminal illness how can I die you know, how can you know my whole reputation go bye bye in two days you know how can everything I've worked to attain in my life disappear 
Yeah. And that's simply because things are changing momentarily. There's no lasting stability. So the fact that we're afflicted with this mind that thinks that what is transitory is in fact stable and secure and unchanging, that mind state is great suffering, isn't it? because it can't see reality and then when we look at ourselves and we look at sentient beings controlled by that grasping at permanence then again great compassion arises because we see how much dukkha they, you know, we all experience because of that mental state okay so that's the this, this second kind of suffering. When we see, it's called the suffering that focuses, the compassion that focuses on phenomena. So there's a little bit of explanation on why it's called the compassion that focuses on phenomena. So by seeing that our body and mind are changing in each instant, then we see that there's no unchanging, monolithic, autonomous soul or self. There can't be because there's things are changing all the time. So when we see that there's no unchanging, monolithic, you know, autonomous self, then the conception grasping at such a person disappears. And we become aware of that there is no self that is independent or separate from our mental and physical aggregates. So there's no permanent self or soul that's always there to rely on that's separate from the body and mind. Understanding that opens the door to see that there's no self-sufficient, substantially existent person Okay, and that in fact the person, the self, is labeled independence on the aggregates. Okay, and so here being labeled, you know, depending on the aggregates, means that the person is not something different or separate from our body and mind. When we see that what we are is dependent upon the body and mind sometimes that can be a little bit twittering in the stomach because the body decays and dies which means that if the self is dependent on the body and mind the self is also going to decay and die okay so then we have to really face our own mortality yeah, or if the mind is, you know, changing moment to moment, then there's the possibility that, you know, to become senile, to get Alzheimer's, you know, which is a very scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, but if the mind decays, then the self also that's, is experiencing that as well, because the self is dependent upon the body and mind. So phenomena, when we say it's compassion that it focuses on phenomena, 
phenomena refers to this collection of the aggregates and the sentient beings who are labeled on these mere phenomena of the aggregates okay so that's why it's called compassion focusing on phenomena you know it's beginning to see that the self is not independent from the aggregates and that what happens to the body and mind happens to the self mm-hmm. yeah and that there's not a self that's there that's in control of the body and mind like we so often feel but the body and mind are conditioned so they're conditioned and then the self is exists in dependence upon them so what happens to the body and mind happens to the self okay then verse 9 talks about the third kind of compassion the first one was focusing on their suffering aspect the, the second was the compassion that focuses on phenomena here really emphasizing impermanence and transience and then the third verse is, talks about the compassion that focuses on the objectless okay what objectless means is non-inherent existence okay so there's when we talk about objectless there is no inherently existent object yeah so here we're getting deeper into the nature of reality and deeper having a deeper understanding of the ignorance that prevents us from seeing this deeper nature of reality okay so inherent grasping at inherent existence thinks that everything ourself and all phenomena exists independent from its own side with its own essence yeah totally unreliant upon other factors such as causes and condition such as parts such as being mutually um dependent such as being dependent upon the concept and label okay so it's this tremendous ignorance that feels that there's a self inside here that isn't the same as the aggregates isn't separate from the aggregates but still is able to set itself up under its own power okay so that's a real big problem because this this grasping at eye and mind yeah and we not only grasp at eye and mind is existing in that way but we look at everything around us as having its own inherent essence independent of everything else and so we really get stuck that's really the source of so much of our confusion because we feel that we're in a world of these objectified people and things that you know we're we're knocking our heads against all the time because we're not seeing how things are dependent okay so verse 9 when it talks about objectless it's talking about how things act, are free 
from such an inherently existent nature. Okay, that's the meaning of objectless. So verse 9 says, I praise compassion that focuses on the objectless, that sees all beings, however they appear, to be empty of inherent existence, like the reflection of the moon in water. Okay. Um, until recent years, you used to be able to walk up Agron Road and there was a pond there and in the evenings of full moons you would see the moon reflected in the pond okay now it, when we see a reflection it looks like the real thing is there in the reflection when the water is very still you could almost think if you didn't know better that there were a moon in the water okay it's like when we see a reflection in the mirror it seems like there's a person in the mirror and when we were babies we would reach out to try and play with the other baby in the mirror okay is there a moon in the water is there a person in the mirror no okay there's the appearance of something but it doesn't exist in the way it appears okay so there's no person in the mirror there's no moon in the water but does that mean that there's nothing that exists whatsoever no because there's the reflection of the moon in the water there's the reflection of the person in the mirror okay so when something's being reflected there's something there but it isn't it doesn't appear it doesn't exist in the way it appears to us there's something there because we can use the reflection of the face in the mirror to comb our hair and pick our zits. <laughs> you know, we can use it, can't we? Yeah, the reflection in the mirror serves a purpose. Yeah. It's not that there's nothing there. Yeah. But is there a real person there? no okay so similarly that's the analogy so similarly things appear to have their own inherent nature when in fact there is no inherent nature there at all but there is still an appearance and things can function on the level of appearance so without having an inherent nature just on the fact of appearing things still function you know even there even though there's no face in the mirror the reflection on the fa of the face still functions 
the reflection of the face is something that's dependent okay it depends on a piece of glass it depends on there being a person standing in the room it depends on there being some light in the room it depends on where the person is standing in the room okay so the reflection is something that exists dependent on many many different factors the person the glass the light the position of the person all these different things but even though it's dependent the reflection appears and it serves a purpose and it functions but if we look for any person in the mirror we can't find it okay so in a similar way things appear to us they appear real having their own essence but they don't exist that way they exist merely as appearances that's all there's only an appearance there's no independent inherently existent person in here or out there okay there's only what appears depending on other factors okay so the person and all other phenomena lack any kind of inherent nature when we look at sentient beings and see how they don't exist inherently and yet they're grasping at their own inherent existence and at the inherent existence of everything around them and how this grasping at inherent existence is the frame is the basis the foundation for attachment for anger for jealousy for conceit for confusion for all the mental afflictions that we suffer from okay and that this grasping at true existence this ignorance self-grasping ignorance is the root of the whole pile of mental afflictions and the whole pile of tainted karma when we see that then we see that sentient beings are self included that we don't have to suffer because things do not exist inherently as they appear and yet we see this incredible tragedy that we ignorantly think they do and thus remain bound in this cycle of samsara okay so it it's like you know to give a very coarse gross analogy if there's somebody that you care dearly about and they're having hallucinations of very very fearful hallucinations and they're in so much pain and doing so many negative actions because they're having this hallucination your heart goes out to them doesn't it 
because you know that what they're seeing doesn't exist but they don't know it yeah and so in a similar way when we see that sentient beings grasp at inherent existence whereas inherent existence doesn't exist at all then our heart goes out to them our heart goes out to ourselves because we're stuck you know even though we want to be happy we're stuck in creating the causes of our own misery okay so this is the the third kind of compassion the compassion of uh, that of the objectless okay so here we see that sentient beings don't need to suffer yet they do but we also see that there's a way for them to get out of the misery because things do not inherently exist and if they generate if we generate the wisdom that realizes the emptiness of inherent existence then that wisdom has the power the potency to cut the ignorance completely and eradicate it from the root okay so understanding emptiness on one hand it gives us a sense of the incredible agony sentient beings are in but it also gives us a sense of how all of that is totally unnecessary because there's a remedy that exists so it also gives us a sense of hope and optimism because as soon as sentient beings realize emptiness then they can eliminate the ignorance stop the affliction stop stop the creation of karma stop the continual rebirth in cyclic existence with the three kinds of dukkha okay so that's what verse 9 is talking about hmm? so when we're meditating on compassion yeah when we say that line in the four immeasurables may all sentient beings be free from suffering and its causes then stop there and really contemplate these three kinds of compassion yeah can be very very powerful okay so tomorrow we'll start with verse 10 <laughs> okay but we're going on to verse 10 not because we fully understood the first nine yeah we haven't fully understood them yeah yes yeah we aspire to hear all 108 in this life yes yes and you should aspire to come to every week long retreat each year for the rest of your life Okay. Okay, so let's sit quietly for a couple of minutes.